So welcome again to everybody. Lo lovely that we're here. I love that Ben welcomed uh, the faithful 10 o'clockers. Uh, I'd just like to add my welcome to the faithful 10.15ers, 10.30ers, the slightly less faithful 10.45ers, and, and the frankly heretical 11 o'clockers. Good to see you. Uh, momentous times, uh, that's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Uh, you could probably find a, a reason to say that at any time of one's life, depending on where you look, local through to international, and find momentous things going on. But I think we'll probably gather around the notion that, uh, in our nation at least, and, and uh, in the wider society, these are fairly momentous times, and a whole bunch of stuff going on that is uh, challenging and, and creates pressures. Maybe that's uh, true for you. You really feel that, the whole Brexit thing especially, uh, and others. Maybe your, it's your personal pressures that uh, dominate your landscape. Maybe there are personal challenges, because there are always those as well. Blessings always, battles always. Uh, but great opportunities too in all of that. I read a tweet uh, from Carl Beach, some of you know him, this week, yesterday I think. Lots of people in political upheaval, despair, angst, I just think, what a privilege to be alive at such an unprecedented time when the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ is being brought into sharper focus than ever. There's only one kingdom, that will and it will outlast them all. My God works all things for good. So in tough times, God, God is our hope, and our hope personally, for us, we need that encouragement always. We need hope today. And then beyond that, we become dealers in hope, don't we? Uh, and I think God, in, in the short time that we've got today, he wants to encourage us, because he always wants to do that. He wants to remind us of the treasure that we already hold, if we've already embraced it, and that is ours, and all that that means embodied in the person of Jesus. And then, the treasure that we have to offer to a world that's in something of a crisis. And again, that would always be true, but we might want to say it at this time is uh, especially true in different sorts of ways around us. So here's this postcard verse from Scripture that we've been given today. Uh, it's a little overwhelming, if I'm honest, in scale, uh, but I think the Lord will help us to land it somewhere. I hope so. And it's all encompassed in four, in four words. I didn't even get to the second half of the verse. Nikki very kindly did earlier, so we've covered the light bit. Uh, but here, here are the first four, four, four words. In him, in Jesus, was, we might want to say, is... In him, in Jesus, was life. I told you it was overwhelming when you begin to even to think about it. Overwhelming in scale. Can I just read the context? It's helpful to set it in the context of the scriptures. It's from John 1. Most of us will know that. Here are a few verses, just a few. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. A little bit further down, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. 
It is a cliche, but it is based on the biggest truth of all. It's all about Jesus. I've lost count of the number of times I've said that, and we've heard that in this place down the years. It's all about Jesus. Uh, cricket fans, you won't have escaped, and others, non-cricket fans won't have escaped that Ben Stokes was something of a hero a couple of Sundays ago. And in the midst of enormous pressure, I would say, an enormous distraction, and a whole bunch of things going on, a crowd um, cheering him on, and no doubt Australians doing the opposite in his ear, a bit more close up, uh, and the pressure of no that if he failed, then the whole uh, enterprise of the ashes would be, would be doomed, and probably feeling very tired because he'd batted for a long time. A whole bunch of different distractions. Ben Stokes did the one thing, the first thing without which he would definitely have failed. He did some other things very well. But the one thing that he needed to do in that moment, in the view of all that was going on, was to keep his eye on the ball. Any ball sportsman knows that's where it starts. He could have done a whole bunch of other things brilliantly, but if he didn't do that thing, he wouldn't succeed. I love that photo, I saw it the day after. His eyes absolutely on, on the ball. And it won't surprise you then to know that if God is going to encourage us, the encouragement today is this, it's to keep our eyes on Jesus. It is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to borrow a verse from Hebrews 12, further on in the New Testament. Run the race with per- perseverance, keep going. How do we keep going? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. By the way, run, run the race that's marked out for us, it says in that verse. Not somebody else's race, our race. We need to know what our race is, our lane. But unless we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we will find ourselves distracted, succumbing to all the pressures, all the challenges, all the things. We'll find ourselves sinking under the weight of anxiety around Brexit or politics or Hong Kong or the Amazon burning down or the environment or whatever it is that is the the presenting uh, mud on the windscreen of your life beyond which you can't get because it's so dominant. Keeping eyes fixed on Jesus. You can't follow somebody that you're not looking at or listening to. Life is all about Jesus, and the verse tells us why. Because it's in Jesus that we find life, that we find life. It sounds esoteric and enormous and philosophical. Need to land it a little bit more. There's lots of things that promise, though, to to bring life, don't they? Promise to be life-changing, and they may be true at some level. Of course they are. All kinds of things bring life. All kinds of things change life at some level. But we have to hear the gospel again this morning, and this word that it's in Jesus, ultimately, alone, that there is life. John says some pretty sharp things, some pretty shocking things. We can't water them down. A few verses, actually, in his book later, 1 John 5.12, he says this, and elsewhere, whoever has the son of life, uh, the son, sorry, whoever has the son, Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. can't shirk from the fact that the gospel carries its offensiveness with it. It's not a verse that we bandy around so easily. It needs some unpacking and all of that, not not time here. But let's not fall for the, the nonsense that the gospel is not offensive. Whoever does not have Jesus does not have life. Again, all sounds lofty. We may subscribe to this being true, but such a big concept. Let's let's dig down a little bit. I believe that God wants us to know how this life speaks into our reality right here and right now. I don't know what your favorite subject was at school. Um, I think mine could have been history. I regret that I didn't become a historian, largely on the basis, because I think it's linked with teachers probably, largely on the basis that my history teacher had terribly bad breath. And it just put me (laughs) off history. And that was it, and I regretted it, and I've barely forgiven him ever since. I don't know what your favorite subject was. 
Um, I, never had, I never had a biology lesson in my life, interestingly, in the, in the quirky education that I had. Um, it didn't stop me having four children, mercifully. But <laughs> I, did, I did do a bit of Greek. Um, and actually, you don't need Greek. In fact, you don't need any language these days. I speak as a former language teacher because it's all on Mr. Google Translate. Um, but there's three words here. I do know this much. There's three words here that the Greek uses for life. It's where we, we miss something of the richness. Um, and they are bios and psyche and zoe. They sound a bit like a washing powder, bios, a, a bit of a dodgy film, psyche, and a lovely girl's name, zoe. But technically, biology, psychology, zoology are all the study of life. The Greek word's life. A bios, then, our physical life, all the processes involved in our um, breathing in oxygen and, and it going around the body, and you can tell I didn't do biology, and keeping our brains alive, uh, and all of that. Uh, our physical life, it's marked by uh, birth, it, 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 it ends at um, death, the, the date that is on our tombstone, as it were. Psyche, psychological life, the human soul, our mind, our emotion, our will, our desires, our personality, all of those sorts of things wrapped up in that concept of life. But interesting to me to note, isn't it? And so we understand biology, psychology. Interesting that zoology has come to mean something completely different. I'm sure the study of animals is absolutely wonderful and, and very interesting. But actually, technically, zoology is what this one is. The study of this word, zoe, life, used here and in so many places uh, in the Gospels where this word is used. Zoe referring to spiritual life, the life of our spirits, the very essence of God himself, that part of us that is made for intimate connection with God, who is spirit, eternal life. In God's image, life as God has it, the essence of life that is not limited by time and is not stopped by death. That life, all three words for life, all three gifts, of course, to us, we can't do anything to generate them in ourselves, two of them present automatically from the start. The first two, quite obviously. The third, this life, in him was life, this life, not present in us from the start. We're stillborn, remember? Spiritually, we're stillborn, we're born dead. That's our inheritance from Adam. It's called sin, it's called choosing independence, isn't it? It's called choosing distance from God rather than dependence, intimate friendship on him. So what's God done in his infinite, of course, unfailing love, faithfulness, which we've celebrated and sung and continue to every day of our lives? He has not left us in that condition, but has sent his son in whom was his life in order then to offer us that life, to bring us alive from being dead. C.S. Lewis, God didn't send Jesus to make bad people good. So often that's been the moralistic message of our faith. It's so unhelpful. He, met, he sent Jesus to make dead people alive. So in Jesus is life. The whole Bible, of course, is about this story. The New Testament, even more so. The Gospels, even more so. John of the Gospels, even more so, because he happens to use this word even more than the others. It's like a giant magnifying glass is put on this, Jesus, and the life that is in him alone. You could read a whole bunch of verses uh, just from John alone, just from the first part of John alone. I was going to read some. I'm not going to. Perhaps a little word study for you. Just go Google life in John's Gospel, first I don't know, six chapters or something. Meditate on what you find. I ought to pause at this moment, I suppose. Maybe we'll come back to this right at the end just to say, key question, not going to dwell on it. 
Are, are you alive? Do you have this life? We all have bios, we all have psyche, physical life. We're breathing here this morning, most of us anyway. <laughs> we have personality, will, emotion, all of that. We, we get that. Spiritual life, no, that's a gift because we're born dead. So we need to receive that life. In John's Gospel, interestingly, and even in the first uh, chapter, we hear it at Christmas so often, don't we? There were three reactions. They're, they're the same reactions that have happened uh, all down the ages, actually. Ignore, reject, receive. Did you hear it? The world didn't recognize him. He came, but the world didn't recognize him. Don't know who you are. Might know the name Jesus, but no real clue. Not that interested. Ignore you, therefore, in the true sense of that word. Be ignorant of, not know anything about, not have heard the story. Don't know who this Jesus is beyond a swear word. What percentage of our community would that encapsulate? Quite a high percentage, I'd wager. Why? Because nobody's introduced that person, your, your neighbor, your colleague, whoever, to the source of all life. Reject, he came to his own. That means literally his own, his own community, his own family, his own town, the people who knew him. We know Jesus, he's the Joseph's son, right? He's the guy who, and what happened? They rejected him. Forget the verse, verse 11, I think it was. Came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's a bit more active, isn't it? That's the, I know something about you, but I'm choosing to go my own way, thanks very much. I'll choose to do, I'll, I'll choose uh, independence. But to all who received him, he gave them the right to do what? To become children of God, full of life, full of his life, and therefore part of the family. Part of the family that God is gathering now and into all eternity, filled with, with his life. It's all about Jesus. Are you alive? Are you alive? Do you have that life? Have you made that choice? I had the huge privilege uh, just a couple of weeks ago, immense privilege of uh, firstly reflecting on my own journey with that. It was at the age of eight. I know exactly where I was, uh, exactly uh, where I was at, at nighttime uh, in the bed that I was in, uh, looking out of the window at the stars. And that was the moment that I received in the language of John 1.12, the life of Jesus in my spirit. And my spirit at that moment came alive in him and has remained alive, because it does, because that's his promise. When he comes in, he doesn't leave. Have you? Had the huge privilege then, just a couple of weeks ago, of helping somebody to make that, that very same decision. Somebody has spent a lot of years being ignorant, actually, thinking that they had life, chasing after it in a particular way, but being utterly deceived and coming to a moment of realizing that they had been utterly deceived. It was a terribly disappointing thing to realize they had wasted in their language. I don't believe that's true because God doesn't waste anything, but had been deceived for all of that period of time. And coming to that place of, no, I, I need to receive life. In that moment, that man was born again. We'll have the blessing of baptizing him probably fairly soon and, and you'll hear more of that amazing, amazing testimony. In Jesus, uniquely is life. We, we fill our spiritual lungs with that life. We worship him, we serve him, we honor him, we laugh with him, we cry with him, we share with him, we walk with him on the journey. We obey him, we listen to him, we chat to him, we love him, we learn to love him some more. We share him with others. It's all about Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. It makes the world a difference to everything else. What is the needle of your life most days or, or, or mine? All over the place, we've got our stuff to do. I'm not saying everything's a distraction, by the way. Of course it's not. We've got stuff to do. We have work to do. We have relationships. We have parenting. We have shopping to do. We have cooking. We have all the stuff of life. The needle is, is, is buzzing all over the place. But when it's at rest, 
in odd moments through those things, and, and when none of those things are actively happening and it's at rest, where does it point? Where does the needle of your life point in that moment, the needle of your, 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 your inner eyes? Encouragement is, life is in him. Life is in him. Fix our gaze there. The uniqueness of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Headings in my notes, I can't delve into any of them. Just want to end on, on something that is true about Zoe life, this eternal life, as we call it. I'm going to borrow one of Hills's, uh, what I think is a, is a helpful visual. Some of you will have seen this before. Here is life. And here is bios life, right? Birth date, the date on our headstone. We all have that. That's what's going on right now for all of us and people on the planet right now. That's bios life right there. There it is. Contains so much, doesn't it? So precious, so important. All kinds of things going on there. But friends, uh, this is Zoe life. This is eternal life. And you don't need me to tell you, therefore, that the implications are just enormous for us. In Jesus was not biological life, not physical life, as good as those are, as gifts as those are. In him was Zoe life, eternal life, the essence of life with God, the essence of God himself in us, built for relationship forever. Spiritual life that lasts forever, for everyone. But for those who have spent this life walking in their own direction, an, an independent direction, effectively saying no to God, no God, no God, no God, no God. What happens here? No God. And therefore all that is good, because all that is good is wrapped up in God. That's called hell, and it's a reality. Why does God send people to hell? That's the wrong question in the end, isn't it? I understand the question, don't get me wrong. But it's not a question of walking on a path towards heaven and God sends to hell. No, we all, we all, we're stillborn, remember? We walk on a path towards no God. And God is desperate, desperate, desperate for us to receive in Jesus his life and be part of the family that will enjoy him forever. Huge implications to all of that. Of course there are. I'm going to leave you to kind of work out, think about some of them, uh, what they are. 2 Corinthians 4, I'll just read some scripture and then we'll, we'll pray and end. See, here is not home. Um, I don't think around the, the, the supper tables of Cheltenham there's a great deal of talk about death. Would you agree? It's probably the final taboo. I think we talk about pretty much anything else in our, in our world. I'm not sure there's a great deal of talk about death. It's why we have such a dysfunctional relationship with it and the language around it. It's as if in the 21st century we ought to be able to insure ourselves against that, right? So we hold it at arm's length and we don't talk about it. Our New Testament forebears, they were right on this all the time. You can't read the New Testament without this overwhelming sense of an understanding that life is Zoe life because they hear it in the Greek, not just our life, right? They have such a grasp on this and the implications, therefore, of this. So what does Paul say? We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. 2 Corinthians 4.14, a little bit later. So we do not lose heart. 
Everything in our world has the capacity and the enemy on top of it to make us want to lose heart, whether it's Brexit or anything else, your illness, your parenting issues, whatever. Though outwardly, we're wasting away because bios life decays towards crumbling. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles, says the man who's been shipwrecked, flogged, imprisoned, beaten, uh, etc., etc. Bit of perspective here, friends. Light and momentary troubles, says Paul. Why can he call them light and momentary troubles? They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Yeah, they're weighty, but they're outweighed by Zoe life. So, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what's unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, what's unseen is eternal. Sure, life before death really, 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 really matters. Of course it does. Please don't hear some false separation here. What happens before death, what we do with our life, affects all of eternity. So that's the implication, right? What are we doing with our life? What is the, the legacy? What are the, the things that we're giving our energy to? How do we perceive our problems in the light of keeping the end in mind, in the light of, of that big picture? What does, what does today look like? Brexit is a really big deal. Really, I don't, don't care where you're on the political spectrum or whatever. It's clearly a really big deal. The way that we're led in this country, the people who make decisions, it's a really, really big deal. It's a big story. It affects people materially and really, but it's not the biggest story. For many on the media, you'd think that it is, and I understand that. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, Brexit is not the biggest story. This is the biggest story, and it affects every other story. It affects the way that we see every other story. But we have to grasp something of the richness and the eternal nature of the life that is in Jesus. Otherwise, we'll, we'll miss it, or we'll, we'll dampen it down, or we'll play it down. Or we won't offer, actually, to a, to a watching world what really, really most matters. And we'll just find ourselves offering a gospel which is all about your life here will get a bit better. You know, you get a bit less sick, or a bit more wealthy, or a bit less poor, or a bit more justice, or whatever. As crucial as all of those things are. Let alone eternal destinies. So life is tough, but God is good. We need hope. Here is hope. Gives us something to go after, something to put our energy towards, storing up treasure in heaven. In him, in Jesus, was life. Let's be renewed in our conviction about that and the way that we embrace it today. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's stand. As always then, and... If you're new, as Andrew indicated, some pause, some moments, we don't run away. We believe that to some degree, the next few minutes might be the most important of the morning. Actually, I think the, the best minutes happened at 10.01 and 10.02, but most of you missed those. I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> this is second best. Teasing's a sign of affection. You know that, right? So have a whatever you need to do to anchor yourself in the reality that God is with you, God is for you, he's your father, he loves you. There's challenge in this, there's bigness in this, but there's no condemnation, there's nothing scary. This is the ultimate source of hope and comfort because that is who our good God is. So we just take these moments, Father, to embrace that, to 
to say thank you. We've worshipped you. We continue to want to worship you. We want to go deeper and further in our, not just our understanding, although including our understanding, but our experience of a good God in whom is life and whose gift to us is that life in all its richness and depth and complexity, here and hereafter. But we want to be a people who aren't just about the here and now. As important as that is, we want to be shaped by the there and then. So we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way in us and do something significant in our hearts and lives that moves us further towards you, towards the kind of fullness of life that you promised here and hereafter. And that we then carry, Father, to those among whom you've, you've planted us. So come, hope bringing Spirit of God. Come, life reviving Spirit of God. Come, peace promising Spirit of God. Come, breath of God. Breathe on us, breathe in us, renew us, revive us, strengthen us, bless us, fill us with your life. We want no other. We say there is no other. And as we find ourselves, God, just breathing more deeply and, and, and thanks arising in that place, that place God, we, we pray that you'd, you'd grow us as, 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 as worshippers, as lovers of you. Would you fill us up, Lord, to overflowing and more. We refuse to contain this for ourselves. We refuse to be some little religious sect or something or some some little bubble of people. Some holy huddle. Lord, where your news is too good. Your presence is too great. Your affection for your world too strong. God, we say yes to you. We say yes then to the, the cost that that will in, involve. We say yes to where that will take us. God, you've paid the ultimate price. Thank you for grace. Thank you for provision for living. Thank you for hope in dying. Thank you for giving us stuff to live for as well as to die for. So we bless you this morning, Lord. We bless you this morning. We thank you this morning. We say more of you, more of you in me, more of you in us, more of you, Lord, more of you, more of you, Holy Spirit. Soak us, baptize us again, overwhelm us. In Jesus' name. Somebody came to me with Psalm 118, 17, not knowing what we're going to talk about today, think about. That verse says this, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. That will be the declaration that many of us will be speaking right now. I shall not die, but live. And I will declare through my life, through my actions, through the way that I am, the works of the Lord. I'll point people to this life. I shall not die, but live. Praise God, we can make that declaration. Thank you, God. I want to say I believe that the reason that verse was given was to encourage us. It was also to say that there's somebody here who has not yet been able to say that. And today is the day that you can say that. I shall not die, but live. Because today's the day you need to open the door of your heart to the life that is in Jesus. To go beyond bios and psyche and embrace the Zoe life of God.
If that's you, I want you to come forward in a minute and just let it be known to whoever prays for you. Because I want to create this space. If, if you are finding that God is speaking to you today, he's renewing you, he's reviving you, you're very conscious of momentous stuff in life, the thing on the windscreen of your life right now. But you are encouraged and you want to be more encouraged. You're receiving hope, but you want to be a, a, a greater hope bearer and a hope bringer to those around you. Would you like to come forward? We'd love to pray for you. Renewed in this life, just come. You know that you want to give this your yes. And here's a, a kind of visible way of doing it. Just come, just make your way forward. We'd love to pray for you. You want that kind of encouragement, just come. For courage to step out in this life. For some of us, the, uh, the, the challenge and the pressures and the distractions are very, very great. And whilst you've heard, it's not really sunk in. The, the, the Spirit is all about transformation, not information. So if you're, you're embracing the information, but what you want is transformation. The Spirit, it's, that's the Spirit's work, and you need to come and, and, and get somebody to pray that for you. So family, come and pray. Please come and pray. Come and bless. Come and men to men, women to women, put a hand on a shoulder. Be listening to what the Father might want to say, which is always good news, and speak that out. Silence is good too. The Lord will do his thing. Come Holy Spirit. Have your way now. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in all of us, Lord. Have your way in all of us. In all of us. In all of us, whether up here or where we are on the balcony. Don't switch off. Please don't switch off. You need to collect kids in a moment, those of you who got children over the road. But you do your business with God. Because he wants to do business with all of us.